you all are being so polite and controlled. I kept thinking the entire time Austin was up here with the kids that celebration does not sound like yay. <laughs> celebration is people up and running around the room. Now, don't get up and run around the room. But, you know, I think sometimes we're just a little too calm about what we're actually celebrating here. And sometimes I wonder if we really, really, really understand the life-changing, world-changing moment that happens on Easter. We've been joining our voices this morning with all those who encountered the dead but now living Jesus, and we have declared a number of times the ancient creed of the church, he is risen. And as one of my kids will say, he is on the loose. <laughs> and he is. Throughout the centuries, the gathered church has always focused on the resurrection because the resurrection vindicates everything that Jesus said and taught about himself. He is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the Son of Man. He is the King of a new kingdom. This morning, I want to just back up just a little bit by recapping the week that, was, that led up to the crucifixion. Now, for those of you who have been here week after week during Lent, we have been traveling on the road with Jesus towards Jerusalem. Since the end of Luke chapter 9, Jesus has had his face set towards this city, and all along the road, he has taught, he has healed, he has confronted Last week, Jesus was on the road just outside the gates of Jerusalem. And as he went through the gates, people cheered and they rejoiced and they called him king. It was a happy day for his followers. But Jesus looked out over the city of Jerusalem and wept. Because he understood how confused they were about what was happening right in front of them. Once in Jerusalem, Jesus goes directly to the temple because, of course, he does. He clears out the people who are selling in its courts, declaring and echoing the prophet Jeremiah at the same time, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den for robbers. Every day he teaches in the temple and many gather, but in the background the entire time are the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders of the people who are trying to figure out a way to kill him. They've had enough. Things are feeling out of control. So they try and trap him in his words. Maybe we can get him to speak against Rome, they think. And then we can act. But Jesus will not cooperate. Read through Luke chapters 19 through 24, and you will notice this, this growing darkness, this, this increasing pressure. It's, it's ratcheting up as it comes towards Jesus but Jesus never backs down. He just pokes the bear over and over again. His disciples have to be losing their minds. Come on, Jesus, stop it. I mean, really, just stop it. Run, hide, come up with a better strategy than this. These are all the things that you would say to someone that you love who is making dangerous decisions. Now, eventually, Judas, one of his trusted students, betrays him. Luke says, Satan entered Judas, and for my money, that's the only way to explain what Judas does. 
Judas' betrayal cascades right into Jesus being executed on the cross, which those who were afraid of Jesus just loved. Because dying on a cross was a sign, it was a confirmation. Only sinful criminals, the dregs of society, died on crosses. Putting Jesus up on a cross, it was a, it was a sign, it was a symbol. This man is an idiot. And his followers are just as bad. The cross was intended to bring an end to all this nonsense and all the disruption the leaders had been dealing with. I mean, what more could the guy do now? He's dead. Killed by the Romans. Convenient. Because now, we are innocent. And we can just get back to business as usual. All during Lent, we have been on this inevitable road with Jesus towards Jerusalem, and it seemed like Jerusalem was the goal, the end of the road, the the terminal destination. It certainly looks like it's the terminal destination on Friday, because there is no more final destination than a tomb. But by Sunday, it's clear. Jesus will not stay put. Earlier in the day, some of the women went to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. They didn't find him there, but they did find two men in gleaming clothes who asked in the Gospel of Luke, why do you look for the living among the dead, which is one of the best questions in all the Gospels. He is not here. He is risen. Remember? He told you. And so Joanna, Mary the mother of James, Mary Magdalene go back to the disciples, and they tell them all of this. But to the disciples, it seems like nonsense. Peter, to his credit, he goes to the tomb. He looks in. He sees the strips of fabric which had bound Jesus laying there. But he doesn't see Jesus, and he walks away confused, wondering what has happened. I want to pick up the story this morning in the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, beginning in verse 13. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then one of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. 
As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. When they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, where they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together, and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did you notice where these two were when this happened? They're on the road. Still on the road. But now, instead of traveling with Jesus towards Jerusalem, they are on the road away from Jerusalem. And it's not surprising, really, it's been three days since the leader of their movement was cruelly executed, and it is only normal for people to start to fall away. That is what happens. The leader dies, and then the core begins to splinter. But notice, by the end of this passage, the group is back together. This group, who was once centered on the living Jesus, has now come together again, centered on the living Jesus, but in a fresh and new way. Let's go back and take a look at a couple of details about this passage because there are some really important things we can learn as we watch Cleopas and his friend meet the risen Jesus on the road. Cleopas, though he is not mentioned anywhere other than here, is clearly closely connected and well-known to Jesus and the disciples. Who the other person is isn't really clear. They are never named. One source I looked at suggested that the reason this person isn't named is because the other person might be Mrs. Cleopas, which I had never thought about. Now, it makes sense when you think about the end of the story when they invite Jesus in to stay with them. They're on the road towards Emmaus. It's late, and they invite Jesus to stay with them, much like a husband and wife would. And, of course, we we can't know, but it also makes sense for them to be going to Emmaus because it is their home. When things are not going the way you thought they were going to go, you go home. And so maybe Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas are inviting Jesus to stay with them in their home. What we do know is is that they are walking along and they are discussing all the things that had happened in Jerusalem in the last week. Some of the things that I had already mentioned to you had to be part of that conversation. The last week has been absolutely wild in the city of Jerusalem. And as they are talking, Jesus walks up to them and says, Hey, what are you guys talking about? Now, the text says they were kept from recognizing him. And that is a little strange. I mean, why would God act on them to keep them from recognizing Jesus? And we're going to come back to this in just a minute. But, but when Jesus asks them what they're talking about, the reply that Cleopas and his companion give Jesus is not just verbal. It's physical. They are walking along, and they stop, and they look down. Sad, dejected. Cleopas asks Jesus, 
Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know what happened in the last few days? Which, by the way, is ironic because Jesus is the only one in Jerusalem who actually knows what was going on in the last few days. Jesus plays dumb and asks, what things? Cleopas goes on to tell Jesus all about what has happened all the way through the empty tomb and the fact that it has now been three days, which hints at least at the fact that someone has remembered what Jesus said about rising in three days. But still, the overall mood of this conversation is crushing disappointment, and you hear it when Cleopas says, we had hoped that he... And that's my first point here. What had set the feet of Cleopas and his companion on the road away from Jerusalem was crushing disappointment. Crushing disappointment will change your course. They are walking away from their hopes and dreams. I've done that. Haven't you? When things don't work out the way you think they're going to work out, when you look at something and declare in your spirit, this is defeat, then you move on. You leave what is dead behind. And I wonder if this is why Jesus calls them foolish and slow to believe. If they had believed, they wouldn't have left. But I do understand how Cleopas and his friend or his wife or his companion, whoever it is, I do understand why they did what they did. I mean, working out of their natural understanding, it's only logical that this movement or whatever you want to call it is over. The leader is dead. His students are hiding. It is time to go home. They had such high hopes, now they are broken who here, given similar circumstances, even less clear than these, actually wouldn't have reached the end of hope? Who here hasn't in a business or a career or a relationship? Sometimes, despite your best efforts, things die. Who here hasn't turned around and walked away? Jesus meets their disappointment with Scripture, which is interesting and definitely worth noting. Though I'm sure there was compassion in the way that he, that he does this, he doesn't just sort of pat them on the head and, hand and say, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. No, he comforts them with Scripture. He explains how what they have experienced is exactly what had to happen and how it is actually ordained by God for the Messiah to suffer all these things before he enters his glory. Later, Cleopas and his friends says their hearts were burning in them as they were being taught by Jesus, and I'm sure that's true because Jesus is basically teaching them hope that what man meant for evil, God is turning to good. Can you imagine overhearing this teaching on the road between Jerusalem and Emmaus? Oh my gosh, what I would do to be there that day. What a moment of of walking on the road with Jesus. And I'll ask you this, do you think that the reason they were not allowed to recognize Jesus was so that they could hear what he was going to teach them? I think that if they had recognized him from the start... They could never have heard what he was going to say. And don't you think, even though what Jesus taught isn't detailed here, and boy, do I wish it was, but 
Don't you think that the, the point of all of this was so that they could then pass what Jesus taught them onto others? As they approach Emmaus, it is getting late in the day, and Jesus continues on like he's going farther, but it, they insist that, a, that he spend the night with them. He finally agrees. And they're at the table eating, and Jesus takes bread, and he breaks it, and he gives it to them. And when he does this, they suddenly recognize him for who he is, and he disappears. And this is important because it is their hospitality toward a stranger which allows them to see Jesus. As it says in Hebrews chapter 13, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some have shown hospitality to angels and didn't know it. It is hospitality which transforms their disappointment into well, I was going to say hope, but I think it's more than hope. It's, it's confidence. All along the road, Jesus is teaching them that what they had been crushed by was intended, that what they thought was over is just beginning, and now they are sure because they have seen him. Jesus is not dead. He is alive, and suddenly they are leaving the dirty dishes and glasses behind, and they are running towards Jerusalem. They have changed course. They are back on the road in the dark, rushing to share this incredible news. When they get there, the disciples are already buzzing with the news that Jesus has appeared to Peter alive, and then these two walk in, and they make something very clear. Jesus is not only alive. He is on the move. From possibility to despair, from despair to certainty, this is how Cleopas and his companions' week has gone. And what stands in the middle of this change, in this change of course, is the resurrected Jesus. Despair dies and hope is resurrected in his presence all because they invited him in. They made room for him. They welcomed someone they thought was a stranger. And if you know the rest of the story, the story moves into the coming of the Holy Spirit with the disciples being sent out into the world. And as you consider that, you quickly realize something. This movement is no longer about us being on the road with Jesus. It is now about Jesus being on the road with us. I'll end with this. Over and over again, the Bible is remarkably clear. If you invite Jesus in, he will accept your invitation. And an invitation to Jesus will change your life. Ask Cleopas about his change of course. How about you? What are you moving towards? What's the trajectory of your life and your faith? Are you ready to invite Jesus into your despair? Or your joy? Or your boredom? your disappointment, your everyday ordinary? Are you ready to change course? Have him teach you, lead you, challenge you? He's ready.
Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them. I will accept your invitation. And they with me. Are you ready to get on the road with Jesus? Would you pray with me?